world full of sociopolitical issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome, everybody. It is December, where many of us celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus by arguing over what we should be saying to each other to commemorate the season. And in honor of yet another joyous occasion being used as a springboard for political discord, we're going to be covering the intersection of religion and politics in America this month. Real light, airy, non-sensitive topic nobody's going to get mad about. Um, Now, one of the areas where America stands out amongst developed nations, aside from our stubborn resistance to the metric system, is the level of religiosity in our society and how some churches have actually become powerful political forces in their own right. We're going to start our deep dive into this subject with a conversation with Dave Scott, president and founder of Scott Digital Marketing in Fargo, North Dakota, and someone who takes his Christian faith very, very seriously. So when I say Christian entrepreneur, what do you think we're going to talk about? The MyPillow guy? Defiant wedding cake bakers? Listen on, and let's see how close to the mark you are. I'll be back at the end with commentary. To start things off, can you introduce yourselves to the folks listening? Tell us you know, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, so I, my name is Dave Scott, and I, am, I live in Fargo, North Dakota, and I'm the owner of Scott Digital Marketing. We are a boutique outsourced marketing firm that specializes in helping IT services and managed service provider businesses all over North America. And, uh, you know, I know what prompted me to invite you was some conversations we had a while back uh, on Facebook, um, specifically around faith and around sort of the nexus of faith and and politics in a way. And I I don't want to dive into it right at the beginning, but maybe just to set things up, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you were brought up and what faith you were brought up in and kind of how you're practicing all that today? Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised in Northeastern Minnesota. And if you ever do like a little bit of context or history and you read some books by Mike Huckabee, um, one of the book, one of his books that he published many years ago, I think about 10 or 11 years ago, was talking about yellow dog Democrats or blue dog Democrats. And these are people who grew up in more conservative areas, but they claim to be Democrats. They're pro-gun because they're hunters and they love Jesus and they love their grits and their food on Sundays and their big families and whatnot. Well, so, and that's in the South, right? That's in a lot of the areas, Arkansas and some of the areas that he lived in and preached in because he used to be a pastor before he was a politician and and a talking head like he is now. But the area I grew up in is even more to the extreme. Like we are like blue dog Democrats. So I grew up in a very blue collar home. My parents were both had blue collar jobs. My mom was an RN, um, retired RN. She worked in mental health care for many years and just in convalescent care and nursing home care much of her life. And then my stepdad was a law enforcement officer. So he was a jailer at the local um, deputy sheriff at the local jail for like 30 plus years. My uh, real dad was uh, worked in the iron mine. So he worked in a steel plant 
that was owned by U.S. Steel way up in northeastern Minnesota. And then my mm-hmm. stepmom also was a, um, a teller and a bank manager. So very, very blue-collar jobs, grew up from the ground up. And uh, I grew up from a faith perspective, Protestant, although my mom's family is very Catholic, right? Northeastern Minnesota is full of Italians and Bohunks and Swedes and Finns. And so a lot of those those generations and those nationalities support Catholicism. So grew up knowing about Catholicism, but uh, loosely practicing Protestant, I guess you could say. And we, we didn't go to church every Sunday as kids. We were called what I call holiday Christians, right? So, mm-hmm. and that's not a dra- meant to be a derogatory term at all. It's just the truth. So we would go to church like on Easter or Christmas Eve or, you know, whatever the, whatever the, um, holiday is just pick your poison. And though those were the days we went to church and we might make it every once in a while, but I didn't really have a faith foundation until I was late teens in my high school and college ages. So I lived virtually personally an atheistic mindset until I was about 16 or 17. Got it. Got it. And so what happened? Yeah. So I met this, this street preacher and he would go in and he would go into like some of the most dangerous suburbs in America, like Gary, Indiana and Joliet, which is a suburb of Chicago, which I think is mm-hmm. still one of the top two or three most dangerous suburbs in the country in terms of gang violence and homicides. So he would go into these areas and just give guys and gals food and give them water and give them clothes and shoes and build a relationship with them. And then he would share the gospel with them and he'd give them Bibles and talk to them about how Jesus died on the cross for them and and so on and so forth. And so he had some crazy stories, crazy stories. And matter of fact, he brought a former gang member with him, a guy who was paralyzed on a certain side of his body because he was shot in the head with a gun way, way back in the day. And the way that he shared the love of Christ was really compelling to me, even Mm -hmm. though at that point I didn't believe in heaven or hell. I just thought that we breathed and lived and died and boom, that was it. And ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And we went back to the earth. There's no such thing or heaven or hell. And that's it. What he did was after the event, I don't know what happened, but call it divine intervention, call it coincidence, whatever you want. He found me in the audience and he was like, Hey, I know you don't believe in heaven or hell. I'm like, no, I don't. And he said, uh, well, can you have a conversation with you about it? And I'm like, sure. You're not going to change my mind, but sure. And so he said, are you willing to admit that there's a small percentage of you that's wrong. And I'm like, for argument's sake, yes, I'll, I'll placate here and, and listen. And he's like, all right. So if there's a small percentage of a chance that you're wrong and that there is a heaven or hell, which one would you want to go to? And me being my uh, know-it-all argumentative self, right? As a <laughs> 17, 18, 19-year-old kid, you know everything, right? So I was like, yeah, yeah. of course, you know, w- which is better? I don't know. And, and uh, you know, just the lo- human logic should probably tell you that heaven is probably a better place to be-, be if you believe in both of them or either of them. So he was like, well, if you're wrong, which one would you rather go to? And I said, what's the difference? And he opened up the Bible and he was like, well, here's what Jesus said about both places. And one was described as a garden, beautiful, holy, righteous, awesome. And one of them was the antithesis of that, right? So I'm thinking, okay, we'll die, brother, go to heaven. And he's like, well, do you know how to get there? I'm like, oh, this is where the conversation ends. You know, I really don't want to talk about it. And so he said, he goes, can I ask you some other questions? I'm like, yeah, sure. So he's like, what's going on in your personal life that you are, um, that you just, you have this hardness around your heart? Like most people that I find that are really cynical or jaded against the cause of Christ, not against religion because religion is different, but they typically have some sort of hurt and wound in the past that is causing them to be really hard hearted 
What's going on in your life? And he, and Dan, he took time to care to ask me that question. And mm-hmm. that's really what triggered a, a positive response from me, right? He showed a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion, and which is what Jesus showed when he walked the earth thousands of years ago, right? So I broke down crying and I'm like, you know, I grew up in a really broken home, dysfunctional home. There's been eight, nine, 10 marriages, whatever, between my parents and my step-parents. My parents divorced when I was a little kid and there's a lot of strife and I hate Jesus. I hate God. I don't want to have anything to do with him because I feel like he wrecked my life. And so Larry brought this, you know, this conversation to surface in terms of what I was struggling with and had really nothing to do with whether heaven or hell are real or, or if Jesus died for our sins or not. It had everything to do with about the context of why I believed and why I hated God as much as I did. So he showed a lot of compassion, a lot of care, a lot of concern. He walked me through, you know, again, if there was a small chance that I was wrong, what the consequence both unintended and intended would look like. And I just broke down crying. I'm like, if there is a guy who came to this earth, God reincarnate, who died for my sins, who is going to give me fresh starts and new beginnings, I'm in. What do I got to do to be part of it? So we prayed and, and the rest is history from there. And so what did you do after that? Like, did you start going to services regularly or what was, you know, how did you practice it after, after that time? Good question. So really we decided this, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to learn more about what the scriptures said about life, what the scriptures said about how to heal from hurts and wounds, what the scriptures said about marriage, what the scriptures said about being a good person, being a cool human being. So I really started to dive in and I just, a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for wisdom drove me to dive in and read the Bible front to back in a short period of time. And I started to get what's called discipleship, right? And that's where mm-hmm. you get with um, an older believer and you learn from them and they walk you through the nuances of how to digest God's word. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, like you're you're describing your faith journey and it's almost an inverse of mine. Where really? You, oh yeah, because I was raised up in a very traditional conservative Irish Catholic family. So my yeah. grandparents are off the boat Irish my grandmother went to church every day, daily. Yeah, went to church. So we were kind of like slackers for just going every Sunday. But we <laughs> went. We went every Sunday. Didn't matter if you were what was going on. You, if you were sick, you got out of mass. But other than that, you had to go. Right. And and I hated it. I hated yeah. every second of it. Yep. And it was also right in the. It was also in the heat of kind of the culture wars. So. Mm-hmm we never talked about the love of Christ, like not once. Like I yeah. think we talked more about how you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And you guys right. are doing this wrong and you should stop doing this. Social conditioning. That was exactly what it was. And so yep. by the time I was like 18 and I went to college and had a choice, I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm out. You're like, I'm going to be a drug dealing chode smoker. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Every <laughs> Talk to anybody who went to an extended period of Catholic school and they will have gone through some sort of a delinquent phase in some in some moment of their life. And I'm, Rebellious I'm, I, streak right up the back, the back of your backbone, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. And so, and, and I never quite fully abandoned that faith, but I certainly you know, went the Christmas and Easter route. And it wasn't until I started raising my kids that we started going back because I, it's it's always been my belief religion's a tougher thing to pick up as you get older. 
and so at any rate, so it wasn't until later that we came back and it wasn't until well after that, that it really started to play more of a role in, in my life, which we can maybe dive into later. I, I, I guess like, so, so you did all that, you had that transformation. And mm-hmm. so what's your faith now? How do you put that in a, How do you put that into practice? Yeah, that's a big question. So my, a lot of my identity, and I, I think the identity for most guys is wrapped up in what they do professionally, right? And uh, yeah. whether they're stay-at-home dads, whether they have full-time careers, whether they're cops, CEOs, mm-hmm. truck drivers, self-employed like I am, you know, whatever the case might be, I think a lot of their identity is wrapped up in that. And as a believer in Jesus, your identity is wrapped in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just here on borrowed time. I'm here just leasing uh, my my lease payment is my life and my time and how I choose to spend it. And so I'm just here temporarily. And how I spend that time is really important, which is why I tend to be a pretty intentional person. I say no to a lot of opportunities. I say yes to a lot of them, but I say no to a lot of them too, because I feel like, well, number one, that's the only um, thing that you can't get back and buy more of, right? But at the end of the day, it really is about how you live your life. And so that intentionality has driven me, uh, been driven through me because of my relationship to the Lord. And I think one of the things that a lot of Christians struggle with is how zealous or how excited about my relationship with Jesus should I be, right? And, and there's a difference between organized religion and, and a relationship with Christ. Organized religion is very traditionally traditional-based, right? You have a lot of practices and personal preferences and professional preferences all wrapped into it. Relationship with Jesus is not a man-made religion. It's a relationship with Jesus, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to go through an, an, an accessory. You don't have to go through a Mormon a church or a mosque or whatever or a person or an imam. It is just you and him, right? And that's how it was designed um, by God himself. It's God breathed and God ordained. But at the end of the day, I think the struggle is how much of that do I live publicly and how much of it do I live privately? I tend to be a super mm-hmm. private person in general. Like I've never posted pictures of kids, spouse, family, brothers, sisters, dads, moms, like my grandma, I'll post stuff about her because she's 96 years old and she's freaking <laughs> awesome. But, but other than that, like I, I'm a pretty private person that way. I don't, I wear my emotions on my shirt sleeve, like personally in one-on-one conversations, but outside of that on social media and in other places, I, I just don't. So I'm not overtly over the top. I think in my everyday life, what my practice in my faith in Christ looks like is go to church on Sundays, but it's not about just church on Sundays or going to mass whenever. It is really about everything that I do is a ministry opportunity, right? So if I'm going through a drive through at McDonald's or Burger King or Chick-fil-A or wherever, it's okay to pay for the person behind me. I don't do it because uh, because of R-A-O-K, a random act of kindness. I do it because I want to encourage somebody, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm also not the guy at lunch with a bunch of Christian business owners who's witnessing to my server. I think that is the most, I think that's the dumbest practice in the planet. And I hate when I see other people do that because they're so busy and they have so much to do, right? It's like, come on guys, pick your battles here, right? Yeah. It's like when your two-year-old's throwing a tantrum, it's not the right time to teach him potty training, right? You, yes. When your two-year-old is cranky and he or she hasn't had a nap in like four days, like you're looking for how to um, mitigate a nuclear meltdown you're not trying to teach them something super structured and organized, right? So again, mm-hmm. just timing, just be prudent with how you approach your timing. So that being said, it's church on Sundays, but it's really about a ministry opportunity, right? So because I'm in business, 
And because I work with a lot of other business owners and CEOs and presidents of companies, I find that there's a lot of trends and a lot of trends is a lot of them are workaholics. They have hurts and wounds in their own personal lives. Some of them struggle with suicide. Some of them struggle with depression. Some of them are profoundly insecure. They have a lot of insecurities and they have, some of them have egos, but typically these egos aren't grown from confidence. Ego is not typically grown from confidence. It's grown from arrogance and pride. So a lot of these guys struggle with arrogance and pride. And so my ministry is how can I encourage these guys to run their businesses the right way. Cause I've been doing this for a while. I haven't, I'll, I'm never going to arrive and I definitely haven't arrived, but I'm in my forties. And so I'm not some 22 year old teeny bopper out of college. And I'm also not a 72 year old consultant, a wise sage either. Right. I'm right in the middle. And so mm -hmm. I feel like it definitely gives me a lot of credibility to come alongside of business owners and just encourage them um, and be there for them and be a good, a good resource. I find that in the marketing conversations, because my team and I are outsourced marketers. We're high level leaders inside of most small, small to medium sized businesses. We're not like a specialist type of uh, role. We are on their leadership teams. If they're implementing traction or EOS, the Rockefeller habits, we're on their management team, we're on their management squad. And so we have a lot of pull and a lot of say and a lot of influence. So it's how you use that influence. That's really important, right? And you can either influence, use that, that influence for selfish purposes or you can use it as an encouragement of others. So the way I live it out every day is just through that that whole process. It's it's interesting the way you describe that because I'm thinking back to the story you told about the the Chicago preacher and how he sort of found you at the right time, mm -hmm. and he didn't come fire and brimstone no. word of God. He You're really right. met met you at where you were yep. and and really used. Christ to facilitate healing for you. And right. it, it sounds like that's what you're doing or that's how you're living it more now in a personal and professional level. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's spot on. So like I said earlier, I don't tend to live in extremes, like very, very, very few things in this world are black and white. They just are. And I also don't like hanging around people who live in extremes. Like this is black and this is white and this is right and this is wrong. I mean, yes, there are decisions. Like if you're going to go right at a stop sign, you got to go right, right? It's just typical black and white. But I'm talking about like big decisions, you know, like should you carry guns in America or should you not? Is abortion okay? Is it not? Is taxation without representation good or not, right? Like all those conversations are not black and white. There's a lot of gray in yeah. the middle and there's a lot of context and there's a lot of... It, people are messy. There's human emotions and you have to be willing to talk through those things. If you look at the way that Jesus lived his ministry, take the uh, garden of Gethsemane, right? So the um, disciples and the apostles fell asleep. Jesus woke up. Uh, Judas had sold him out and the guards were coming to get him. Peter drew his sword and he cut off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers who was going to try to take Jesus into custody. What did Jesus do? He rebuked Peter for violence. He put told Peter to put his, and he, he told him to, um, essentially told him to put his, put his weapon down. And Jesus put his hand and healed the ear or the side of the head in which Peter had scraped with his sword and cut with his sword, right? So, and if you look at other, other pieces of Jesus' ministry, you'll see that kindness and compassion. And the scriptures say um, repentance is done through kindness, right? Mm -hmm. So, and Jesus lived that out to the um, truth to, to a T. And so when he walked the earth, there's only a couple instances where he got angry, but it was a righteous anger. Like when 
Um, those goofy guys were selling the, you know, today's version of WWJD bracelets outside of the temple, right? They're trying to profit yeah. from the name of God. Of course, yes. Righteous anger. Like if you see somebody who's doing something wrong, it's okay to get passionate. It's not okay to like beat the crap out of them and push them off a cliff and, and murder anybody. That's not never okay. But it's okay to get passionate and use that anger in a righteous way. And that's what Jesus did. So that, those are the only situations where he, he quote unquote lost his temper. And again, I wouldn't even qualify that for losing his temper. But at the end of the day, he walked his ministry with kindness and compassion. And that's what led people to a relationship with his father through him. And so the call of Christ is not to be perfect. It's not to be holy. It's not to follow these rules that people have set in front of us. You know, like you talked about earlier, growing up in a super strict uh, Catholic home. And, and I grew up in a very similar fashion, right? Like don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't hang out with people who do. Like that was the mantra <laughs> growing up and don't get tattoos, right? And oh, so yeah. all these, so these are all rules and the social conditioning can do a ton of damage to kids when they're little because uh, they rebel, right? And they, the older yeah. they get and they have a choice in college. But my point is, if we're, if I'm called to take up the cause of Christ, Jesus' number one goal for people who follow him is to be more like him. That's it. And so yeah. if, that's the, if that's true, then I have to look at how he lived and walked the earth. And again, he was perfect. He was God reincarnate. And I'm never going to be perfect. I get that. I was born a sinful being. But I should take on a lot of the attributes of how he responded to things, right? And be kind and compassionate and loving of other people. It's not to say I can't have a backbone. It's not to say I can't have a strong worldview. It's not to say that I can't um, support a Democrat or Republican. It's not to say I don't have freedoms because I do. Um, but at the end of the day, it really is about living and following that mantra in terms of, you know, seeing how he lived when he walked the earth. And that's, um, you know, it's a big part of what I pride myself on every day is just trying to live that out so that people can see that in me, in my interactions with others. And you mentioned too, you know, one of the maybe conflicts you have, or one of the areas you struggle with is how much of this you can express or how much yeah. of this you can share. So are there specific areas where, you know, you feel you're unable to express yourself or, or your, your faith fully? Yeah. So I'm always very careful. Like I don't, I'm not afraid of my faith. Like if somebody were to have a conversation, ask me about it, I lovingly walk them through it and, you know, do some uh, introspection and certainly ask a lot of questions of, of why they're asking. You know, Simon Sinek talks about the why behind the why, but uh, I am very careful on how I share it online. I'm very careful on, on how I share it with interactions just because of the hypersensitivity that our country's in right now to everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. most of the people that I hang out with, they're not extremists anyways, right? So I don't hang out with uh, people on the far left and people on the far right. Most of my friends are pretty logical. They um, are really good decision makers. You know, like the adage goes, you become like the five people you interface the most with. And so I tend to surround myself with really positive, encouraging individuals who can um, help me level up and, and take my personal life and professional life to the next level. So that being said, I don't I don't have to usually tread a lot a lot um, lightly in a lot of the conversations. Like we can be very open and honest and authentic if faith is a happen to, happens to be a topic of conversation. But if I don't know you all that well, I'm uh, you know I don't 
smoke. I don't chew. I'll have a glass of wine every once in a while. I'm, I don't overtly drink to get drunk. I don't, I've never ever been inebriated. I have never smoked drugs. I've never done uh, marijuana. I've never snorted cocaine. I've never done any of those illicit things. I've never uh, bought, sold, distributed illegal barbiturates, right? It's just not me. It's mm -hmm. not how I roll. So you'll be able to see that if you were to interact with me in a lot of the conversations and how I live my life. But I, I don't share it publicly unless um, unless I'm asked or unless it really comes up in conversation. That being said, if I see the opportunity and somebody's hurting, I'm def definitely not going to shy away from that opportunity to share what the love of Christ has done in my life and how it's encouraged me and gotten me for, through some really dark times. Yeah, and I, I think part of the reason why religion, and I would say especially Christianity at this point, is sensitive kind of gets back to something I, I said earlier about my upbringing, which is in the national dialogue, I think there is far more of a focus on issues that alienate maybe for lack of a better phrasing. So yeah. I, I would say probably social issues. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. And, yeah. and, and I think that because of that, there are some assumptions made. So for example, if we look at everything you said, Everything you're saying is very reasoned. It's coming from a place of compassion. It's coming from a place of wanting to understand. Right. And, and yet I feel like the the faith conversation in, in, in a lot of cases on a national level has been hijacked with, again, the social issues. So particularly, I think abortion and, and gay marriage are probably the two biggest ones yeah. that, that come to mind. How do you feel about the fact that those tend to be the, the front and center issues of, of the dialogue around Christianity in America and the issues of things like pacifism or uh, compassion towards the poor aren't necessarily as front and center. Does that bother you at all? Or do you have any feelings on that or, or not so much? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, I read a book a few years ago called The Myth of a Christian Nation. And it was a pretty, it's a pretty um, like if my, uh, yeah, I've got some really conservative friends. If they ever heard me mention that name on this podcast, I would get a phone call, <laughs> which okay, I could okay. care less about. But it was written by a pastor in Minnesota named Greg Boyd. And Greg uh, pastors uh, kind of a semi-quasi-mega church here in the Twin Cities, suburb of the Twin Cities. He's also used to be a professor at, I think it was Bethel or Northwestern University, he, as a Christian, he's a, a, a loves Jesus with all his heart, mind, and soul, and strength. But the point of his book is a, really about how the quest for political power is destroying the church. And he was absolutely spot on. And the book was written back in, I think, 2005, 6, 7. And um, mm -hmm. if you were to read it today, you'd be like, holy crap, this guy predicted the future. And he, in the book, he the, the main story that he, he, he prepped that the book is – uh, based on the premise of the book is based on he uh, was a member of this church. He was a, a senior pastor and he had a bunch of the congregants and the leaders in the church that told him, you need to preach from the pulpit that a congregation needs to vote GOP, vote red, because we're Christians. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a Christian. He Jesus is a Republican, right? Which is a bunch of baloney. It's not true at all. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is either. And I think he would blow up both political parties personally. But Greg Boyd was pressured into preaching this. So he did the opposite, <laughs> much to the chagrin of his conservative um, Christian leadership board. He was like, you need to go vote for 
Jesus, and you need to get into the trenches and get your life right with Jesus, and you need to focus on the love and the compassion and the grace that Jesus tells about, and the merciful nature of God through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Like Those are the things you need to focus on. Don't go vote Republican. And so it caused a huge stir. He got in big trouble. The church admonished him privately, and it was just this big battle. So that's how he that's how he started the book out with that story and talked about how um, political power is destroying the church in, in, in the modern age. And I definitely feel that he's absolutely right. Politics is one of the darkest professions in this nation. It is evil. It is nasty. I've got friends who are mayors, who are state representatives, who are senators, both um, blue and red alike. And growing up, I served on President Clinton's election campaign back in the 90s as he beat crushed Bob Dole back in 96. I've also served on um, lots of different blue campaigns and red campaigns too, right? Like I mm-hmm. used to support um, Mike Huckabee and his campaign back when he was running for president back in 2008. And it was great. So, you know, I've done both is my point. And I definitely yeah. feel like as Christians, we are blinded by politics. Uh, there is more politics in the church today than there is in politics. And I definitely feel that that's absolutely true. And that's quoting Mike Huckabee. He said that in one of his books a few years back. And so I definitely feel that it's true when it comes to the conversations, the social conversations like here personally. So this will, this will probably ruffle a few feathers, but I'm, I'll get a little bit authentic here. Yeah. So back in 2008, when Huckabee was running, when Rudy Giuliani was running for president, when, um, who is the former actor uh, who was also running for president? Oh, uh, Fred Thompson. Yes, Fred Thompson. All these guys were running for president. And a friend of mine who's a conservative Republican uh, and, and loves Jesus too, just happened to, to be that combination. He gave me this pamphlet and it was a PDF and he sent it to me. And he's like, hey, you need to take a look at why you shouldn't vote for Ron Paul. And I'm like, Ron Paul's an awesome dude. Why would you not vote for Ron Paul? Like, how can you disparage mm-hmm. Ron Paul? Like, so in yeah. this pamphlet, he said, well, you need to take a look at the reason why. The reason why you shouldn't vote for him, Dave, is because he's for abortion. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. He was a doctor. He was like an OBGYN. Like he delivered babies, like tens of thousands, I mean, not tens, but thousands of babies over his lifetime. How could this guy, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I look at the PDF. I do a little bit more research. And lo and behold, what I found was Ron Paul was against a federal ban on abortion because he's a constitutionalist and he believes in states' rights. It shouldn't be something that the federal government mandates. It should be something that is up to the states. So in this PDF, under the column and the category of do you support higher taxes? Do you support freedom of religion? Do you support abortion? And uh, a ban, a federal ban on abortion. He put no, and he was the only one of these eight or nine Republican candidates that was part of this PDF document that said no. All the other, all the other of them kind of towed the party line. They're like, oh yes, absolutely, abortion's evil. If you support this, you know, you're the devil. And so Ron Paul caught a lot of hell for saying that. But if you understand the context, he's absolutely right. And I give mm-hmm. him more credit than all the other you know, spineless weenie Republican candidates who happened to be running at that specific time, right? Because they were just, it was, it's easy to tell the party line. It's easy not to have an opinion. It's easy not to have a worldview. So I think as believers, like faith-based Christians, one of the toughest things for me, and I struggle with this is take a look in the mirror and do some introspection, right? Like is, is the, are the things that you're worshiping and you're focusing on really good, right? Would Jesus be excited at the modern day Democrat party? Would he be excited at the fact that we're calling him a Republican. I don't think he would. I think he'd actually be 
um, totally disgusted and offended. And I think, I just think that the, that modern day political power is totally destroying the modern day church. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that bothers me about the way the Republican Party specifically panders to religion and panders to evangelicals is that what it almost does is it perverts faith into mm-hmm. somebody telling you what you want to hear. Right. And it removes your own active role in improving the world and making the world a better place. Because if all I have to do to be a man of faith is oppose gay marriage and oppose abortion, well, it's super easy. I'm straight and I don't have a uterus. So right, right there, I'm, exactly. look, I'm, I'm as holy <laughs> as I can be, right. you know? And 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 I think the 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 tougher questions that that really need to be asked are the ones where we are active participants in evil, for lack of a better word, and right. active participants in suffering and hurt. And 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 what bothers me is that uh, religion has been changed from something that should challenge you, should facilitate growth, to something that basically says, "Hey, you're cool where you are, and if these other people would get their act together, things would be great." Right. And that's a very, very lazy approach in my mind. Yeah, totally. You know, I think the, and like I said, I, I grew up in Northeastern Minnesota. My parents were union organizers. They were, they're still very blue. And I tend to be a little bit more conservative. But that being said, I think, again, going back to that social conditioning conversation, you know, our parents can do an incredible amount of good in your kids' lives, but they can do an incredible amount of damage. But if you take a look at how our parents were raised, they just, some of them don't know any different, right? They, that's how they were raised and they're raised to be this way or do that way. And, and they'll pass those same mores and those same worldviews down to their kids, which is, um, which is fine, but they're, they can be really dangerous and detrimental. So one of the things that, and I have two daughters, they're 18 and 16, and they're just the, the freaking coolest people on the planet. Like I just spent <laughs> um, eight days with them in Orlando and our family vacay here about a week and a half ago. And I was a little bit dreading it, to, if I'm honest, right? Because they're girls and I'm a dude and it's hard to relate to them when they're late teens and they're still growing yeah. and learning. And, you know, there's physiological changes and all that stuff and emotional changes. So it can be a little challenging hanging out with them for a long period of time. So I, I dreaded it a little bit. But at the end, I was kicking myself because I'm like, I should not have dreaded this. This is like probably the best seven, eight, nine days, whatever, that I've spent in a super long time. We had more conversations we've had in in forever, it seems like. We ate dinner every night together. And one of the things that I'm passing on to them, Dan, is the power to listen and have empathy, right? It doesn't matter if you disagree with the shit that somebody else is trying to teach you. It doesn't matter if you disagree with a person who's in the far left or far right, don't attack them, right? Because when you're in the heat of a conversation or context of a conversation, one of the worst things you can do is tell somebody to shut up or calm down, right? It's our job to listen yeah, and extend empathy. Yeah, just chill out. In the wise words of Aaron Rodgers, just relax, yeah. just relax, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of truth and wisdom to that. So I've always taught my girls, look, have empathy no matter what you're doing. I think it's okay to have a righteous passion every once in a while, righteous anger. If you strongly believe mm-hmm. in something, there's nothing wrong with having a backbone and telling somebody, um, don't do this. It's not okay. Or here's what I believe. It's okay to have personal preferences. I want my daughters to be kick-ass, um, strong backbone, strong women, because they're going to need to be. And so yeah. at the end of the day, I'm teaching them about the concept of listening and extending a lot of grace and compassion and empathy to people. People who are traditionally hate God, hate religion, hate Jesus, don't 
hate him because they hate him or they don't hate religion or hate somebody for worshiping the what the the path that Jesus taught what you know tells us to follow they don't hate that because they hate it they hate it because they've been hurt by somebody in their personal life they hate it because they have a post traumatic stress response they hate it because of trauma they hate it because somebody was rude and cruel and mean to them and shame on them for treating that person that way right and so that's typically the reason that I found that people um, don't want to have really good conversations about things is because they've been hurt and they have profound hurts and wounds and they just need somebody to come alongside of them and say hey even though I wasn't the person who hurt you or abused you or whatever I'm still really sorry and I love you and I want to listen to you even though we might not disagree that we might disagree on things and might not agree on every single personal and professional worldview so I think you know the fact that I'm teaching my daughters that is really important and I wish so many parents both Christian parents and non would do the same thing it's not about red or blue and my daughters know that I uh, traditionally vote red just because I'm a business owner and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a Republican or Democrat to be a business owner but um, for me personally that's just that's just how I, how I vote and and typically how I cast um, my support not always but typically but I'm teaching them that it doesn't matter where they vote what matters is they need to align themselves with the individuals and people you know that can really help them grow and become better human beings you know no matter what that that political divide looks like well, I I wish we had more time to dive into this, but I can't think of a better place to hit stop than right there. And I'm going to say this to the audience. Replay that last part and listen and live it out because I, I do feel like that's the message we all need to hear. Yeah. So the coolest thing about my conversation with Dave was how the only times we discussed religion and politics was when we talked about how religion had no place there and vice versa. And, you know, Dave's faith isn't about pointing the finger or getting into dumb arguments about what other people should do. It's a very personal thing that dictates how he serves the people around him. And I thought that was really cool. It's a far cry from the culture war grandstanding we see portrayed on national media and kind of goes to show what you can learn when you sit down and talk with people. Now, for next week, I asked Anam Hussein, co-founder of media tech company Accio, to join me. Um, Anam's the daughter of Pakistani immigrants and was raised Muslim. And I was interested in hearing her experience growing up in the current political climate. Once again, we have a conversation full of things I didn't think we'd talk about, but I also find what I think we talk about is usually pretty crappy in comparison. Hope you'll join me. As always, theme music courtesy of Kvelertak, sound quality courtesy of my producer, Jason Putney, the magic elf to my Santa. I know that sounds a little kinky, but I'm pressed for time this week, and it's the best I can do. Until the next, this is Dan Sally signing off.